every generation, there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. Welcome to Conversations with Dead People, a postmortem podcast on the works of Joss Whedon. I'm your host, Paul Smith, and with the help of a variety of guests from the worlds of fandom and academia, I have recently completed my journey back through the critically acclaimed television series Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which can only mean, of course, it's now time for the reason I'm really here, Buffy's spinoff series, Angel, um, joining me. Uh, for the first time, kicking off this brand new era of conversations, um, Stacy Abbott, I should have checked this with you before I started recording, but I believe your title is, I believe you're a lecturer in film and television studies at Roehampton University? That is correct, yes. Okay, okay. Um, you're also an author of many things. A, a small highlighted selection would be, you're the editor of Reading Angel, the TV spinoff with a soul. Uh, you're author of Celluloid Vampires, Life After Death in the Modern World. Um, also, uh, you just published something, which is not strictly relevant to what we're talking about, but we're going to talk about it. Uh, and uh, why don't you let us know what that is? Uh, that is uh, a, B a BFI classic on the film Near Dark, which yes. is a vampire film by Catherine Bigelow. <laughs> yes, which I have done another pod a separate podcast about. Um, in the not too distant past, I really would. I may have to redo it. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna have to do a near dark episode again just so I can have you on to discuss it. It's one of my favorite films, and I'm so thrilled that you've written a book about it. I would happily come on to talk about that because, okay. um, alongside Angel, it's one of my favorite things to talk about. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Uh, well, Stacy, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. I'm doing Good. well. Good. Surviving the apocalypse on your side of the pond. I am surviving the apocalypse. I feel like my years of watching uh, vampire and zombie films have prepared me for right. this. Right. So, yes, I'm doing. I'm, we're doing all right. Excellent, excellent. How are your dogs? Uh, my dog uh, is fine. Sadly, we lost one of them recently. Uh, sorry. Um, that's fine. That's fine. He was. I mean, we were delighted that he stayed with us for 17 and a half years. Wow. That was Max. Um, and Lily is doing fine and enjoying all the attention that she is now getting. Okay. That's what I, that's what I was going for. I was like, do, they, do your pets enjoy having you home all the time? Absolutely, <laughs> okay. they do. Yeah. Good. Um, I have to Good. say, lockdown um, was a real pleasure with the two of them over summer um, because it was just the two of them, my husband and I, enjoying – we're very comfortable working from home and enjoying just hanging out with the dogs, and they loved it. Excellent. Uh, they're they're going to be less. Well, Lily will be less pleased when um, we eventually one day maybe have to go back into a university, but maybe. that's not anytime soon. <laughs> if that ever happens again. <laughs> exactly. Nice. Yeah. So um, I've 
I suspect dogs are probably easier in that respect. Cats, like my cat, was thrilled for a while because she's she's a daddy's girl. But at this point, she's like, God, would you please just go somewhere? <laughs> would you please <laughs> run an errand or something? Give me the house. Um, yeah. Anyways, so since this is your first time on the podcast and it's all, it's practically a brand new podcast now that we're talking about Angel, um, why don't we start off with how you got into the works of Joss Whedon? I I, I want to ask you how you first became aware of Angel, but that probably started with Buffy. So, absolutely. Um, well, if we start with Joss Whedon, I suppose you know my first introduction to this was um, the movie Buffy the Vampire Slayer, yeah. <clears throat> which I saw when it came out. Um, and actually, contrary to the opinion of lots of people. Um, I actually quite liked it. I was not overwhelmed by it, right. but it was fine. Um, and then in 1997, the year that Buffy went on the air, I started my PhD, which was on vampire films. Um, and so at the simultaneously, so I literally just started uh, doing this when I was dar- now starting to hear this buzz around this TV version of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So I thought, well, I guess I better watch it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, but obviously being in the UK it took a little while to get here like it wasn't it wasn't broadcast exactly at the same time yeah. it just took a little while for me to to um, get to see it so by the time I did see it I, I you know its reputation was starting to build up so I probably saw it in like 1998 okay I was going to um, ask what the delay was are we talking like well, a few I, weeks per episode or was no, it no I mean it was it probably there were a couple of factors because it was slower because initially it was aired on a cable channel I didn't have access to. Yeah. So it took me a little while. So it probably wasn't a big delay just in terms of being in the UK, but in terms of me having access to that channel, it took me about a year. I sort of saw a couple episodes. I actually had a friend record episodes for me for quite a long time because I didn't have that channel. Um, so I kind of got into it that way and obviously loved it. Um, but it, And so... For so and and I loved you know the show it was you know revelation um, in terms of what it was doing the vampire so you know I was in the zone to love Buffy because obviously my I was writing about vampire films and it was specifically films my PhD um, but I loved this show so when they decided to spin off Angel um, I was still working on my PhD and I just to me that was just a no brainer to say look I love this show but all of my work is on the vampire. So a vampire at the center of the TV show they mm-hmm. had to be the protagonist was like, okay, this is going to be amazing. And I was so excited about that. Um, so I immediately, like I did not hesitate about watching Angel, which I know some people were slower to make that transition. And it was everything I wanted it to be. Like, you know, it was just, it was so exciting to suddenly have Angel um, sort of unshackled. Yeah. Um, uh, into his own um, series, but his own, and to be able to see that character evolve. So it was very exciting. Were you a fan of Angel on Buffy? Were you a fan of the character on? I I was. Okay. I was. I mean, I was not. Um, he was not my favorite character, but right. you know, I am. I'm still. You know, um, I I did like the Buffy Angel relationship. I I actually think you know I'm in keeping with my love of vampires. I actually really liked Angel when he became Angelus. Um, so when yeah. he lost his soul, he's certainly more, he's certainly more fun that he's way. He's so much more fun and just more interesting. Like, yeah. you know, and so I really like that aspect of him. Uh, but yeah, I, I was not, so I was not, I know some people were less keen on him and which is why some people didn't make the leap to angel. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I always just enjoyed him. 
and thought he was fine. And I thought I knew enough from what he had done with Angelus. I thought there's potential for this to work as a series, like that they had shown enough of him that he was more than just this kind of doughy eyed romantic lead. Right. That I thought, okay, you know, I had I well, I had high hopes that he, they could do yeah. more with the show with him, which I think they did. Nice. Well, I um, famously on this podcast for regular listeners, I was not the biggest Angel fan when he was on Buffy, and as you say, actually, um, well, you said you actually kind of liked the romance between him and Buffy. I did. I I, did. I, I didn't so much. Fair I, I didn't despise it. Like I didn't passionately hate the character of Angel. I actually liked Angel. I was just a little bored by the whole teen romance aspect of it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I absolutely agree. The notion that he was going to leave this show and go off to his own show. I was like, well, this could be good. <laughs> this could definitely be good. So yeah, I watched it from the beginning and, uh, yeah. I don't remember. I think I really, really enjoyed it from the, from the very beginning. Um, I, I don't remember having any real issues with the show. Um, I know there were a lot of, there was a lot of discussion back and forth between fans of, yeah which is the better show and is angel even any good or whatever. But I really enjoyed the show and um, I've made no secret of the fact that eventually angel became my damn show. And I'm, I, uh, as much as I love Buffy the vampire slayer, I really am doing this podcast just to get to angel. <laughs> so, uh, and it's so weird. I was trying to come up with a way of describing um, like you, you said angels, the more adult show. Yeah. Um, which might be a generalization, but it's a, I think it's an accurate representation. And I realized that over the years I've used the, I've described other TV shows or series or, or whatever by referencing Angel's relationship to Buffy, the show, by saying, like, for example, I did a podcast about um, Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. And over the right. course of those discussions, uh, my co-hosts and I many times would refer to Legend of Korra, we'd be like, it's kind of like the angel to, to Avatar's Buffy. Like, that's yeah. just a touchstone that we use. And so I was trying to come up with some way of doing that for these two shows. And I was like, well, it's, yeah, I mean, Angel is kind of like the angel to Buffy <laughs> Fire Slayer. That's yeah. not very, uh, it's not no, very descriptive. But it, it's, but... A curious, it's a curious thing with spinoffs because, you know, when I was write, writing about Angel, you know, I started looking at other spinoffs I've liked and then, you know, the ones that came to mind that were that remind not reminded me in terms of genre, but in terms of relationship were things like the difference between Frasier and Cheers. Yeah. Yeah, good. Or yeah. the difference between Lou Grant and Mary Tyler Moore. You know, that that nice. you're you get these kind of things where they're taking characters and they they become a very different kind of show. Um uh, grown up is, you know, adult is, you know, like you say, you're right. It's a generalization, but they become preoccupied by a very different set of, of issues of people in different points in their life. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the thing I liked about Buffy and angels that Buffy, particularly at the point, the angel spun off. Buffy was the high school show. It was a teen show. It was about all that angst. Right. Whereas angel was about, you know, about suddenly being in the real world and, and having to hold down a job or deal with grown up issues or just, just work out what it means to be an adult, <laughs> which I really liked. Which is ironic because as the first season of Angel was airing, the fir the fourth season of Buffy was airing. Yeah. Which the whole point, that was the point at which Buffy was trying to shift, <laughs> was trying to move away. So yeah. as we were getting the grown up show, Angel, yeah. um, 
we were also getting Buffy trying to become a grown-up show. But anyways. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so I need to mention the fact, this has probably come up on the podcast before, but since you're here, I need to uh, put you up on a pedestal as the shining beacon at many of the Slayage conferences for me. You were like my, the, my island in a storm in terms of Angel, because for the longest time, you were the only one that was giving any sort of uh, presentations or, or talking about Angel. In fact, I remember one, I'm not going to call anybody out, but I remember one of the Slayage conferences. I was so excited because the the official poster for the conference, uh, finally, it wasn't just a picture of Buffy or a steak or something like that. It was a montage of like all the char- all the Whedonverse characters, yeah. literally all the Whedonverse characters, including Firefly and all that stuff. Angel still was not on the damn poster. I yep, I remember that. <laughs> oh my god, that upset me. Anyways, so yeah, you you were um, you were a beacon for me for a long time, and I did my best um, for a long time. I went to all the slayages, and every time you were there talking about Angel, I would make sure that yep. I was at your presentation. So yeah, and I think I'd, I'd have to go back and check all my slayage papers, but I think almost every one was on Angel. Like I'm not sure if I've done a slayage paper, not. Uh, very rarely, I think maybe. No, I think very rarely. Or it's it could have been a couple of them may have been a composites, right? Of a few of Buffy and Angel, but yeah, I am. I was. Um, I mean, as I said, when because at the time when all the Whedon scholarship was coming about, I mean, I've written, I have written on Buffy, and I'd written my first piece for Slayage, the journal, was on Buffy, mm-hmm. which was in a way very much was influenced by my PhD because I was writing it at the same time, and I wrote that. But then I I went to. That was it. I went to a conference in the U- in the UK on Buffy, or on, well, it was on Buffy, but they allowed papers on Angel, and I gave a paper on Angel, <laughs> and nice. and I remember talking to um, the editor Slayage, and um, she's saying, "Well, will you submit the paper to Slayage, the journal?" And I said, "Well, you have a rule that all the papers can only talk about Angel if it's fifty um, percent of the paper is actually on Buffy." Ooh, I didn't know that was actually a rule. That was the rule initially when Angel came on the air, and um, and I and I sort of said, and I don't really. I said, well, in my paper, I'd mentioned Buffy, but it was like a passing, just setting up what I was talking about with Angel. Um, and I said, I can't really make fifty percent of this paper on Buffy, and um, they went, oh yeah, hmm, I guess we may have to change that. Well, look so at you. Started- they started, I mean, I'm saying they just changed it for me, but I think they had forgotten at that point. And then suddenly they realized, actually, you can't do this now. This show right. is, you know, stands on its own two feet. Well, we I'm going to give you credit for that. You broke down walls. So thank you. I did my best. So, yeah, I, I was for a long time a lone voice, not only giving papers on that, but I have these very clear memories of sitting in panels, listening to really great papers. Like this is no disrespect to the work that is at the conferences, but sitting there and then everyone putting my hand up and go an angel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's not forget. There's angel. (laughs) Um, I'm pretty sure I was in some of those rooms when you would do that. And I was, Oh yeah. I was silently, in my introverted way going, yes, you tell them. Yeah, no, exactly. Because um, it really was a bit of a, an uphill battle yeah. with that. And I'm pleased to say that while there's still obviously a vast mass scholarship on Buffy um, and there's still a lot of interest, uh, I just, I have found in recent years, just more and more people interested in Angel. And I think the life of Angel has 
is in a way has been extended, like actually that there is a very committed both fandom and scholarly fandom, you know, where people are starting to work on it and are talking about it. And I don't know about you, but to me, Angel feels more relevant to me now. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm always quoting Angel. I see, feel like particularly in the past couple of years, you know, the whole line, which again, which we'll, you'll come to in, in in two seasons time. But, you know, if nothing you do matters. All that matters is what you do. You mean that right there? (laughs) Exactly. Like to me, that line, which is such a hallmark of this show, just seems to just speak so much to the world we're in at the moment, where is that's how you get through is saying what matters is what we do. So it's, yeah, it's a very important show for me. And and I feel like it's being recognized in that respect more. So, well, from your mouth to God's ears. So, um, all right, let's uh, let me throw a spoiler warning in here. It seems silly to imagine at this point that anybody listening to the podcast would not be familiar with at least Angel, if not uh, Buffy as well. But it's tradition. So, conversations with dead people is not a typical rewatch and review podcast. We are going to be exploring plots, characters, themes, all of that um, in each of the episodes that we discuss and within the context of the series as a whole. And that means there are going to be spoilers um, for this show and for Buffy and potentially, I guess, to be fair, anything that Joss Whedon has ever done. So just be aware. I suggest if you listeners have not already watched Angel the Series and ideally Buffy the Vampire Slayer all the way through at least once, go ahead and press pause. Um, We'll be here for as long as you need us to be. Go uh, make yourself right. (laughs) <laughs> with the world of Joss Whedon and come back. Um, and in the meantime, Stacy, if you're ready, let's go to work. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. So we're going to be discussing the first two episodes of the first season of Angel, uh, 101 City Of and 102 Lonely Hearts. So I'm going to toss to you and ask you, what are your thoughts? Well, City, let's start with City Of. Yes. Um, I mean, City of to me is um, is one of the great season openers in terms of I think really laying out very clearly a kind of both a narrative and a visual landscape for this series. Um, I think it has. I, I have dutifully rewatched it this week too, even though I have seen it probably more than any other TV series out there. Um, I did rewatch it, and that the opening of the series is setting up so much in relation to where, how how the series is going to function as a Mm spinoff. So it kind of sets up beautifully that kind of for anyone, for the uninitiated or for anyone who's unclear where it sits in relation to Buffy, but also to set to, to, to basically mark its place. And as a show that's very different. So um, Buffy set in, you know, beautiful Sunnydale, sunny Sunnydale, mm-hmm. it's all in the name. We we find ourselves in the city of in Los Angeles and it's a nighttime film noir landscape. It is saying, and then those opening shots of the city with the kind of noir voiceover. Yeah, the voiceover, it, yeah. Is so important. You know, Angel delivering this, this detective voiceover about, about, you know, the city at night and, the line, you know, it all started with a girl, yeah. which is just, you know, I think for me, I, and, and again, as someone who's not only at this point when I saw it, not just a 
vampire fan and a Buffy fan, but a film noir fan. Like, right. you know, I think that is really, you know, setting up so many things for this show in terms of visual style. So it's going to give us this wonderful noir landscape. Nighttime, our main character is a vampire, so we're going to be at night. So what better look to have for the series is yeah. to have this kind of contrasty, dark landscape, um, bright lights. Um, you get all these kind of wonderful images of the city. We've moved out of small town Sunnydale into Los Angeles, a big, anonymous, scary city with monsters. Yes. Like, it's just, it, it's such a great space for a vampire tv series i i love the i i mean as you said i love the whole noir voiceover thing um but particularly the you know for me it started it started with a girl but that was great because that i mean obviously that is a noir trope um that really feeds into the the whole femme fatale idea of film noir and all that and it also is you know a reference to the fact that yeah the angel Started came about girl. because of Buffy the yeah. Vampire Slayer. Yeah. So yeah, I I really loved that, and I love, man, I love the visual aesthetic of this series so much. Yeah. The the yeah. when you're when you're cutting from one scene to the next, the whole rapid edit and and yeah, man, it's so yeah. so beautiful. I did not. I have seen in the past, but I did not try to track down the uh, what do they call it? What do they call the sort of quote unquote the sizzle reel not the sizzle reel whatever the 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 unaired pilot it's not really like the buffy unaired oh, pilot but the, yeah i don't know i know what you mean demo reel or something like yeah, that yeah the demo reel yeah something like that yeah uh, which Probably. is where which is where several of the the shots that are in the like opening yeah. titles come from yeah. but um yes uh, i yeah. had seen that before and i know that that was where they first started using like they they tested out that whole rapid edit thing in that yeah. and yeah. decided they liked it and Thank goodness, because yeah. I love that. I love that, and it it really sets the show apart. It and it becomes like on the one hand it is a nice visual trope to make it just look different, but it becomes increasingly linked to things as we introduce later in the episode to Doyle and visions mm-hmm. and this idea that there is this kind of I don't know like supernatural like a spiritual realm there's this kind of fast images glimpses visions we don't know what we're looking at there's a link between those transitions that I think really work in terms of that psychic landscape yeah um I know that I'm not sure if it happens in either of these two episodes but I know that at times over the course of the series there will be in those little blink and you miss it kind of rapid edits between scenes there will be images of stuff that's still coming up. So you'll see, you'll see the face of a murder girl or something that hasn't happened in the episode yet. Um, Yeah. One of the reasons why I love that so much is it, to me, I have no idea if this was, it was probably intentional, but to me, I always think of that as the idea of Los Angeles is that it is, it is massive. It's a behemoth of a city. It's the second largest city in the United States. And um, the idea that, um, all of the the alleys and side streets, all the spaces in between, even though it looks like a brightly lit city with lots of yeah. people walking around, that there are dangerous things in the yeah. in the liminal spaces and the transition spaces of the city. Absolutely. And so yeah. 
I yeah. just love that. Yeah, absolutely. And somehow, yeah, so all those edits, those fast cuttings, as there's so much in the, in the and you use the right word, liminal. It's mm-hmm. very liminal space. And those transitions just set that up. Um, the other thing I really like about the opening, going back to the voiceover, is, you know, what I love is that you get that kind of noir voiceover. It started with a girl. It's a recognized tradition. We then move into the bar and we have a drunken angel at the bar, mm-hmm. um, which, again... Okay, we've never seen an angel drunk. Don't know if vampires can get drunk, but anyways, you have a drunken <laughs> angel going on about the girl, which is in keeping with Buffy. Like you're sort of thinking, okay, this makes sense. He is distraught. We're seeing a different face of angel. He's moping over Buffy. He's moping over Buffy. We're used to this. It's just a now. But then you get the reveal that it's a performance. Yeah. That he is actually, you know, on the hunt. And this is all an act. And I, again, in terms of setting up things and knowing what the, the strengths of the show very early on, um, that moment when Boreanaz's performance shifts, yeah. when he goes from the drunken performance to suddenly the close-up of him and he turns and watches the guy and his face sh- changes. And it is a beautiful performance that says, no, he knows exactly what he's doing. And the show knows what they're going to do with this character, that he can play the goof and he can be a bit ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But actually, we're going to now suddenly get that shift to something very different. And he is, you know, it's all. It, and, and I like that. I like the idea that he is someone who's often going to be performing different images of himself. Yeah. You know, that, you know, who is the real angel? Like, where is he in all of that? And and giving Boreana is an opportunity to embrace the the goof. <laughs> the goofy <laughs> angel is something that the show does. He didn't get that opportunity very much on Buffy that I recall. No. Um, no. And so even though Angel is, I mean, they're both dark shows, but Angel is the darker show. Yeah. Um, and, but it, it also has its own brand of humor. Like I feel like Boreanaz really gets to be a comedic presence. Oh, absolutely. Show, so. Yeah. I mean, the thing with, with Buffy was, I mean, you're right. I don't think he gets that very often. The oh, There's one moment I ever, I can't remember what episode it is where he trips. And I always remember <laughs> being an odd moment when he's walking in the door. And he slips and she looks at him like stealthy, like what? And it was like a very rare moment to see him not sure footed. And that was unusual. But what always struck me with Buffy was the fact that, you know, we only really know Angel from Buffy's perspective. Right. You know, so he's her love interest. He's her romantic character. So, you know, we, you don't get that. Angel's his point of view. And, you know, Angel, and it's a realization that Angel is like the rest of us, which is, we all th- we, the reality is we all feel a bit ridiculous at mm-hmm. times and you have wonderful moments where he is ridiculous and he, you get to see him be goofy be silly you know be funny and mm-hmm. i think Boreanaz show is given so much opportunity to show a range which he had moments of on buffy yeah. but not many whereas here you get to see, and he has such great comic timing he's great um yeah. So that scene that you're talking about in the the very yeah. opening shot in the bar, of yeah. course, one of the people that he is uh, stalking, we have to call him out, is Josh Holloway. Yeah. Which I, I always I, I always remember, like, in the back of my mind, I'm always like, oh, yeah, Sawyer from Lost. He did start on, like, I don't know if he started, but uh, he was on Angel before Lost ever happened. Yeah. But I always forget. It's like the first guy. <laughs> <laughs> Almost basically the first. Well, it is the first vampire that you see. It is, yeah. Uh, on Angel. Um, yep. And 
the iconic, to me at least, uh, image that clo- that that ends the opening s- title sequence, yeah. the whole too cool for school trench coat as a cape yeah. flapping behind him as he yeah. walks down the alleyway. I always yeah. forget that that in the context of the episode, that comes immediately after he staked Sawyer from Lost. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly. Him, that's him walking away from Josh Holloway yeah. turning into dust behind yeah. him. Yeah, exactly. No, it's true. I, I always forget that as well. And um, it is a kind of surprise. It's a great moment. And there are some other nice appearances as you go through his podcast of suddenly seeing people pop up and go, wow, they started on Angel. Right, right. So, um, yeah. So, no, it's good. And you're right. That is, for me, the iconic image that says everything. Um, to quote Lauren from a couple of Stephen's line, it's all about the coat. The show <laughs> yes. is all about the coat. Yes, absolutely. Um, and the way they and they use that really again they use it really well in the opening episode because you get that shot you also get the great shot in the bar before that when he gets up and turns and walks out and you Where get the another music kind drops of, and he gets it's slow motion and he just gets yeah. the whole saunter towards yeah. the camera yeah it's yeah. great stuff you know, some really good stuff there. I I don't I mean, the show never really gives up its noir tropes, and they certainly yeah. allow Angel his moments of suave, slow-motion, power-walk yeah. kind of stuff. But I yeah. feel like that shot in the bar, I don't think the show does that very often going forward. No, does it? Yeah. it doesn't. Yeah. No. Um, and in kind of classic Angel way, when they do, they end up mocking it. So I can't remember what episode. There's an episode later on in this season when you'll get it again, but they sort of mock it. It's from Doyle's point of view. Okay. Uh, and he And they sort of say, you know, and Cordelia kind of makes fun of his kind of crush on Angel and sort of saying, you know, do you need a moment? Like, because he's sort of looking at him that way. So yeah. they very, and again, they, they very quickly, they give you that. And Angel is that hero, but they also undercut it. Right. Like they don't, they don't overplay it. Um, and I think that's, again, one of the strengths of the show is that it's always slightly, you know, giving you one thing, but also saying, but let's have some perspective. Like, you know, this right. is all a bit, there's, right. We're all a bit ridiculous. So let's talk about the the other members of the cast. Um, obviously, we've got Boreana's uh, reprising his role as Angel. You just yeah. mentioned um, Cordelia, who pops up, and I thought I thought it was a I think it's a really organic way that they brought Cordelia over. I know there was behind the scenes stuff where they were like, we can't just throw Boreana's off on his own and give him an entirely new cast. Like we need to. I know there was a cynicism behind it we need someone else to bring buffy viewers over yeah and they decided that that would be cordelia but in in story terms in universe in fiction i feel like it's a pretty seamless way of having her be the one that he runs into yeah absolutely i i think she's a good counter to him because particularly again in terms of at that point the reputation of you know the tall broody vampire cordelia brings um sharp humor and wit mm-hmm. and a different kind of energy which so i think she's a really good balance for angel yeah. um but you're right i think in terms of the narrative like she i mean there's all kinds of reasons why i think bringing her over was good i think for cordelia it she was never as good as like she may have been if she'd stayed on buffy she i'm sure they would have come up with great things for her to do but she would always be part of quite a big ensemble right and it would be hard, you know, whereas by moving her over to what at that point, particularly in the first couple of seasons, is quite a small ensemble. Um, she is allowed a lot of space to really grow as a character. And I don't know that we would have seen her have that space. Right. But to, to strip away the money, 
to strip away all of that um, class pretension that she had and being the center of the high school universe to put her in the big city and have her have to deal with what it means when you're no longer the most popular person in the, in the, in the universe, right. but you're in a big city and you're anonymous and you're trying to make um, a go of something. And you're also dealing with the fact that you have no money now and right. you're, you know, I think it's a really great, very organic way of doing it. And it, it makes sense for the show to, to open up this idea of what it means to be in L.A., the kinds of people who are in L.A. and who he's going to now be encountering, which are people who are struggling in all kinds of ways and who become have the potential to be preyed upon in a big anonymous city. Right. And I think that's what, you know, that Cordelia works really well in this episode and then across the series. Yeah. Well, we will have things to say about Cordelia's arc as the show goes yeah, on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but um, love her here. And uh, yeah. I love the dynamic between the two of them. I love the... I, it just... It was nice to see Angel have just that... Mo- There's the line where when they when they first bump into each other and she's like, well, I should really go mingle. I need to be seen by people who are somebody. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> and he gets to turn away and say, you know, it's nice to see she's grown as a person. That was just a nice reminder that, yeah. oh, yeah, he used to be part of that group. Yeah. He used to be a part yeah. of that high school crowd, as yeah. weird as that was for a 244-year-old vampire. Yeah. Um, okay, Doyle. Glenn Doyle. Quinn. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, sorry. Um, Doyle. I mean, Doyle is, again, he's a really interesting bridge between Buffy and um, Angel because in some respects he is like an updated version of Whistler. I believe Whistler is who they originally intended to have on the show, yeah, right? Yeah, okay. exactly. And you could see and you could see that. And yeah. you could see that he is very much modeled on, on Whistler, uh, both in his style as this slightly kind of down and out um, half demon Mm-hmm. with the little jaunty hat and kind of slightly stylish slightly but down and out um one of the things i like about having having introduced whistler on buffy and i it, i was always happy that they didn't it wasn't whistler even mm-hmm. though he, doyle is fulfilling that role and you can sort of see why they would have thought of whistler because he turns up in this episode doing the same thing okay we're going to try to put you on track right you know, you can be this hero. We, I'm here to put you on track. What I like about the fact that it, it's you don't have that baggage is that what you get in this episode is hints that that Doyle has his own baggage. Yes. And I like that. Not that Whistler couldn't have had that, but we kind of you'd already think you know him. And I like that we don't know Doyle. That he comes in. We have a sense of who he is because of that connection to Whistler. But he's also coming in. He's been sent to help Angel, but he clearly has his own, as he says at some point, we all have something to atone for. Right. And we don't know what that is. And there is something kind of grubby about him yeah. and slightly kind of, um, you know, living on the wrong side of the law probably most of the time. He's a really interesting character. Um, he's the, yeah. he's the like sort of grubby informant type of yeah. character exactly. to the, to the gumshoe yeah. of Angel. Yeah. But um so a couple of reasons why I love the character of Doyle and that they that that they did Doyle instead of Whistler. Um I'm drawing a blank on the actor's name. Was it Matt Petrovich? That's the name that's coming to mind. I think I might be completely making think, that up. Could be, I can't remember. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm 
sorry. Anyways, yeah. the the actor that played Whistler, uh, he's a fine yeah. actor, and I didn't yeah. never had any problems with Whistler, but um, and I'm sure this is in large part because I've watched Angel and I know who Doyle is and I've grown to love the character, but yeah. I just I can't really imagine Whistler having the kind of like the personality that they give Doyle is such a match for this setting and he's so yeah. uh, charismatic and I just love yeah. his whole shtick and I can't imagine yeah. the character of Whistler filling that same role. I also love the fact that um, whereas some people might and, and probably have complained that, oh, he's just a rehash of Whistler. Why didn't they just use Whistler? Why would they just create a whole new version of the same thing? I kind of like that. I kind of like the yeah. implications that they're, that this is a thing that the powers that be do. They find yeah. half demons and they sort of anoint them as, um, you know, a guiding guardian angels or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so. Yeah. Uh, no, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's all and it's part of this enriching of this universe of saying, actually, there's lots of really complex characters out there that the whole notion. I mean, one of the things that um, you get in these early episodes of Angel is uh, the opening up of our understanding of the demon world is not being black and white, which Buffy was moving, was doing as well to a degree. And it was definitely is increasingly moving towards this more gray landscape of good and evil. But um, Whistler, no, well, Max, that per whole... Max Perlick, by the way, I'm that's sorry. Right. I just wanted to, that's all right. No, that's right. Um, there is something really nice that they did. That is, there are these people out there, all these demons, these characters who are all, part of a bigger landscape on different missions and it mm -hmm. isn't just there's one slayer and right. one angel you know actually lots of people are out there fighting the good fight which yeah. again is the theme of angel it's, right. you know, it's about you know it we all have to fight um it also sets up one of the, one of the things that this angel series does that i am eternally grateful for is it really starts to shine a light on the notion of the the flawed dichotomy or the flawed um coin of humans good demons bad yeah <laughs> whatever mm -hmm. and just by introducing i mean obviously buffy had already given us whistler so that line yep. was a little bit blurred there and eventually yep. it gives us um clem and uh, we we get several yeah. examples in buffy but the show buffy i don't think ever really lets go of the whole no we stake they stake yeah. vampires don't they um yeah and on Angel, it really starts to delve into that. And, and yeah. whether it was intentional or not, they start from the very beginning by introducing another half-demon yeah. and the notion yeah. that uh, he needs to hide who he is from this girl that he now has a crush yeah. on. Yeah. So, yeah. No, absolutely. And, that, and, you come, and what's nice is that Cordelia comes in with all the prejudices of her upbringing mm -hmm. and growing up in Sunnydale, as she repeatedly says in these first couple episodes, is, you know, we grew up in Sunnydale. We had our own hellmouth. Like, she is very experienced. But she, with that, brings all those prejudices of assuming there's a very clear line. Right. Demons, ugh. Um, and I think, and the Doyle is is wonder is very good and effective because he's very charismatic. You do like him right away. Um, there's something about him, or at least I did. I something about him that I'm very drawn to him is finding him kind of sad and interesting. So you do suddenly realize, no, there's something much more complicated going on. Even his desire to conceal his demon identity, yeah. you know, um, you're going, no, this they're right away, right from the first time he sneezes <laughs> uh, and reveals his 
demon side and then hides it, you go, no, this is dealing with actually those are big issues of people kind of passing and, and then now they will eventually use the language, that language of passing and talking about, you know, um, different racial attitudes. So, so the whole notion of equating the whole demon world with issues of race and ethnicity become much more overt on the angel in really complicated ways, which are welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, what else can we talk about? The, um, well, we get a, a brief and I think at the time it was meant to be a, or it was thought maybe it would be a one-off. Anyways, we get the introduction of, of, uh, Lindsay McDonald who doesn't really get, who doesn't get a name in this episode, but no. Um, yeah. No, exactly. So you get Lindsay McDonald, Wolfman Hart for introduction. <laughs> yes. Now, my my understanding of the series was that Wolfman Hart was intended to be the big villain. Uh-huh. Like that was going to be the big villain. But yeah, initially you would have a different lawyer every episode. Okay. Um, and that was their original idea to have this, you know, the villain would be this anonymous corporate entity mm-hmm. um and you get a different villain and if you watch the first few episodes like you know the first season you do get a lot of different lawyers yeah. um but i think they they gradually recognize that um well i think it evolves as this, this season goes on to realize actually there's a bigger character arc and we actually rather than just having anonymous villains we still want some characters who come to represent wolfman hart so lindsey mcdonald yes christian kane um, who um I don't. I can't remember if I had known this before, but in getting ready for this episode, I discovered that uh, he initially had uh, auditioned for the role of Riley over on Buffy. I'd forgotten that actually. I think I may have known that. <laughs> uh, and he didn't but... get it, and he did not audition again. Like he didn't try out for Angel. Uh, they just the the casting directors remembered him from his auditions yeah. for Riley, and they were like, "Hey, how'd you like to come on this new show as a lawyer?" And he and uh, Boreanaz were were buds. And so he was yeah. like, Oh, I better do this. Um, and I, th- and he thought it was also just going to be a one-off. He's like, all right, I'll go yeah. in, I'll put on a cheap suit. I'll yeah. make a few bucks and get to hang out with David. But, um, thank goodness he sticks around. Cause Christian Kane is a delight. He is. He is. And even in this brief appearance, like I think I, he makes, he, you could see why they brought him back. Cause there's at least one or two lawyers who don't come back and they're, right. and not because there's anything wrong with them, but they just, our lawyers, yeah. but he may, he is very memorable and I'll always know that, and I'm not going to be able to quote it exactly, but just when he confronts angel for the first time, when they, when you get that one scene they have in this episode at the end of the episode, and he says, you know, Russell Winters will, you know, has never been and never will be convicted of a crime. Yeah. And you go, no, he is very smooth yeah. and you're going, no, he really embodies the moral corruption yeah. of what, of that firm. Um, and I think you know he really captures that beautifully. Yeah. And you know he he's memorable that you watch him go now. And there's or other scenes with him when he's with the the we haven't talked about Russell, but the vampire Russell when he's together and they are looking at the video of Cordelia and he says, so is this should I alert the partners that this is a long term commitment? No, <laughs> yeah. no, no. Yeah. And you're when when something... when Russell's like. 
I really regretted having to kill her or something like that. And, yeah. and uh, Lindsay's immediately like, actually, you haven't seen her in quite a while. <laughs> and uh, uh, we, we have found yeah. witnesses that have claimed a dark complected man left the scene of the crime with yeah. blood on his hands or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like there's something one, again, it really is a very effective um, for introduction to that. So what I like about this first episode is, you know, in this first season, they will, redefine what the show's going to be they'll 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 they're finding their feet but right. so much of what this makes the show really good and and what is the heart of the show is there in this first episode like yeah. they they know the big beats they want to hit it's the mechanics of some of the storytelling that they're going to work out in the episodes to follow yeah i yeah. i like that they went i mean i don't like because i love uh tracy middendorf uh who yeah. played tina um, I yeah. love her. I kind of wish she had gotten to stick around because because I yeah. really did like her. But I do like the fact that in the very first episode of his own show, they demonstrate, you know, he's not always going to save the girl. Yeah. So it was, it was tragic that she she died. But I thought it was an important message for the show. That Yes, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah I agree with you completely. Um, she I mean, it's it's the strength of the casting that you have someone really good in that role, mm -hmm. which I think is why it, it makes it even more tragic. Cause it's, she, you feel like she could have stayed on the show yeah. like, you know, as a regular, but it, I think it was important that he doesn't save her. And he understands that the fight he's fighting isn't necessarily about saving individuals. It's a bigger fight. Yeah. Um, you know, and it is about, you know, making a connection in the world as right. Doyle keeps telling him. Right. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I think it's a very, it's a good move. It's dark, but yeah. it also says, but that's with the nature of the show. He, it's going to be dark and there's going to be moments that he is not going to be able to. And that's a reality, particularly when you're fighting against something like in this episode, the vampire isn't just a vampire. He is this super wealthy corporate entity. Um, it's such a great decision for this show to make a law firm. And I'm not just saying this as someone who's married to an attorney who works for Wolfram and Hart <laughs> yeah. um, to make, you know, this big uh, multi-headed Hydra an evil law firm, the big bad, uh, because on Buffy, uh, the, the, you know, the season long big bad um, was often, um, well, I mean, it was often embodied by like a character like Glory or Adam or yeah. whatever. But yeah. the 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 larger picture, especially when you got to the first evil, which I have my issues with, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the larger picture was meant to be, you know, these threats were always getting bigger and bigger and more like cosmic and <laughs> universal yeah. or whatever until it was Absolutely. ultimately the concept of evil itself. Um, that's a little hard for most viewers to yeah. wrap their heads around. Yeah. Whereas. Yeah. You tell them, oh, it's an evil law firm. I get it. In L.A., yeah. of course. Naturally, yeah. of course. No, absolutely. No, absolutely. Um, but also watching City of again, what struck me again, and it was interesting watching it in a very contemporary landscape, the backdrop of L.A. and Cordelia is an actress. And you have someone, the way in which Russell's the vampire is this wealthy person who is exploiting women for his own gains. To, and, and I thought, actually, no, this is also really um, surprisingly dark, mm -hmm. the way in, in which it was a car. And the scenes, you have two scenes which really stood out to me. One was with, um, oh, God, her name, Tina. 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 Yeah. Tina. yeah, sorry, my brain just went blank there. Tina, um, after having been rescued sort of by angel initially yeah, yeah, yeah. and coming back to his place and saying is this the time where you comfort me right. assuming she was gonna have to pay a price right and you have that conversation where he says no 
And then you have a similar thing where Cordelia goes to Russell's house and also says, so what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Yeah. And I go, actually, now that is very grown up and that is very dark and very different to sit, to position them in a very real context, even though they're surrounded, we're, we're looking at vampires and monsters to actually say, but part of what's going on here is they are, these are people exploiting women in, right. in this, particularly in these instances, women and someone like Wolfram Hart are covering this up. They're right. part of this landscape that just says, yeah, these women are, we can throw them away. Exactly. Um, and I just think that's really, it just, again, it just feels like the show is constantly has resonance where I just watch it and go, yeah, no, this is sadly still all too relevant. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so let's move on. We should mention uh, that that first episode, City of, was uh, written by Joss Whedon and David Greenwalt. Uh, David Greenwalt, who is the primary, well, at the time it was both Whedon and Greenwalt, but eventually Greenwalt yeah. would become the showrunner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Greenwald, of course, his background, the reason he was sort of handed this show is that uh, he established Angel on Buffy. Like, he's the one that wrote yeah. the episode Angel. And, like, he, he kind of built that character on Buffy. And they yeah. were like, how would you like to give him his own show? Yeah, um, and it was his idea to bring Cordelia over. Okay. He was the one, yeah, that okay. said, no, that's great, and we need to bring her. She's the right person. Right. At least that's the official narrative. Right, right. Um, You know, that they sort of, yeah. Uh, and then, so let's move into Lonely Hearts, which is um, right. written by David Fury, who will also yeah. go on to be a pretty significant contributor to this series in particular. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Lonely Hearts, what I like, well, what was interesting about the writing of this, of this first series is that, you know, this is where we're seeing them working out what they want this show to be. And one right. of the original ideas for the series when it started was that it was going to be much grittier, mm -hmm. much more like it, they were really going to go all in for the um, noir detective crime. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's supernatural, but it's going to be, it was supposed to be filmed with like prostitutes and drug addicts and these things. Right. I, I have not personally read the, the unproduced script, but I've yeah. heard about some of the stuff yeah. that was in uh, Fury's original yeah. script for this episode. Yeah, exactly. So you can see elements of that here. So even though they've reworked it to say, okay, yeah, that's not where they're going to go. And I think it probably was the right thing because I think by, if you go too far down that line, it becomes like other shows. There are, there are shows out there that are crime dramas. We don't need more of that. We need more angel. Right. We need more of this kind of more allegorical approach to, yeah. um, the kind of darkness in the world. So, but I, what I like is this is probably the episode where you most see a bit of that legacy where we're talking about their first out there solving cases. Like they're, they get, we get the first vision proper. Right. Yeah. Um, which, which is, we which is, is quite a thing. It is. It's a big moment to finally, and it's sort of, you forget because he talks about the visions in the first episode, you forget, you don't actually see him. Right. Get it. And now we get this, and then we realize that in this case, these are rather abstract, you know, that it's not going to be a clear, you know, yeah. as Cordelia complains, where's your Mission Impossible kind of, you know, recorded message to self-destruct. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. No, you're going to get a series of abstract images that they have to work to interpret, which I think, again, sets up the idea that nothing is easy, that they have to work at it. Part of doing their job is is the work in their their efforts it, it also it lets them out. it also lets them stay as the sort of 
investigator detective show. Yeah. If if the visions just told you everything you need to know, like this is the person yeah. you need to go find and this is why they're in trouble, then exactly. they're not really yeah. private investigators, are they? <laughs> no, exactly. So they've got to go out there. And so this is the one where we start seeing that at play. You know, we see them now with Cordelia with her little business cards going around trying to tout their business. Um, let me let me ask what... you let me ask you <laughs> have you ever been able to see a lobster in that angel shape? No. I just thought it was hilarious that Kate was like, is this a lobster? No, no I quite, yeah, no, I've never been. <coughs> I see it so clearly an, uh, an angel. Yeah. Um, so I'm with Cordy on this. So it looks really <laughs> clearly, but I love the gag about it, yeah. about all of them looking at it. And again, it's that sense of playing off the kind of ridiculousness of it all. Like, yeah. you know, they're, they're always undercutting things. But I really like, I think this one is really interesting because they're kind of, they're using this to kind of set the parameters for what this show's going to do in terms of you're going to have a bit of a case of the week right. to a degree and they're going to go out there and they have to do an investigation, they have to work, to work it, but it's going to, it's about helping people. But again, we have this very dark narrative that it's about people, this lost people lost in the city, you know, it's lonely people in night, in nightclubs, you know, and pick, trying to pick people up and make again, as they say a million times this episode, try to make a connection. Make a connection. That make was connection. the that was the hook of the episode. Yep. That was it. That's the theme of this episode. And you know, and we're set up. You know, it's. I mean, again, it's gonna sound, I'm not making fun of it because I think it's nicely structured, but it's set up very clearly with Angel sitting in the dark alone, which I have to say is a great opening shot of him just sitting alone. I um, I, I have never felt angel more than the end of this episode his pure joy at finally being allowed yeah. to just sit alone by himself in the dark room <laughs> exactly yeah exactly which i really like but it's the message which is you know you all have to make a connection and what was struck when i rewatched this week what struck me was actually in a way it's very night fury structures the script really well that you hand up the body of it are these com conversations that we're seeing happen mm -hmm. so we have Kate and Angel meeting in the bar mm -hmm. and they're having a conversation. You've got, um, and I can't remember which incarnation of the demon it is picking someone up and having a conversation in the bar that first night. So, it, you know, and talking about making connections and how difficult it is. And then you have Cordelia and Doyle having their first real proper scenes together mm -hmm. and it's about connections. So what you're actually getting is some really important relationships being established through this making connection narrative, which will be really important to the series right. um, while it's exploring this theme about um, and trying to the, the difficulties in this big, bad city right. of trying to find someone and, and loneliness. And it's called Lonely Heart. And I think it does capture loneliness really well. Um, it introduces Kate, who will be really important to the show um, in the first couple of seasons. So let me um, ask you, played by Elizabeth Rome. Yeah. Uh, who goes on to play many more iconic roles in various shows uh, in yeah. years to come. But um, let me ask you, were you a fan of Kate? Um, I had mixed feelings about her. Yeah. I was not um, overwhelmed. I mean, I, I in the end, I, I like her narrative. Right. I like her arc in this show. Mm -hmm. um, I like that you have someone, again, spoilers, you know, someone who starts off not knowing about this side of the world what the world's like, all the kind of evil and demons and monsters and having to confront that right. and deal with that in a, in, and go from the understanding the world to be one thing and then dealing with that. Because we see that in in Buffy, like, you know, everyone, you know, Xander and Willow are a bit surprised, but they adapt really quick. Really quick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 
Whereas with Kate, you see someone who actually has to confront this yeah. and all of her, you know, and just the horror, what that means to her. And she confronts it in really horrible ways. Um, and so I really do like that character in her arc. I didn't warm to her initially. Like right. I, you know, I, she was fine. Um, yeah. I, I, on my first, I mean, originally on my first viewing or two, I guess, of the series, I wasn't particularly a Kate fan. Yeah. Uh, and I have absolutely warmed to her. And again, this is the benefit benefit of knowing the character and what her arc is. But yeah. I am particularly like forgiving of the character, like watching it this time. And I can't remember if I had ever thought of this, thought of it in these terms before or not. But watching it this time, I watched Kate's behavior in this episode, in her first episode, and wondered how much of the lonely hearts act that she does her undercover thing and her connection that she seems to be forming with angel and her disappointment when she sees him go off with how much of that was real. Yeah. Um, I know that the, I don't remember all the details that we get. I remember some of the details we get for Kate, what Kate's particular brand of damage is, but I know that she is a, she is a troubled and damaged character. Yeah. And um, I just, I feel like, there's almost a tragic missed opportunity in this yeah. episode where she she could have been saved. Like Angel meets her and says, do you need to be saved or something like that? Yeah. And of course, it's it's sort of ridiculous. And Kate, even in her undercover act, is like, no, I don't need to be saved. Yeah. But I, I kind of feel like there maybe is a tragic missed opportunity here where yeah. she maybe sort of a little bit did and and she did not get the kind of salvation she needed there and she suffers for it the rest of her time on the show. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a fair point. Actually. I think she, um, I, I actually rewatching it. I find her, I do. Her performance is very well played in terms of all those scenes with angel, um, where she is, you find out is undercover, Mm -hmm. but I think she does play it where actually when you know her character arc, I completely believe the vulnerability that we see in her. Right. Um, and I, and I, I, I do tend to believe that, that, that we're seeing glimpses of her mm-hmm. in those moments. Um, and I know what you mean about a missed opportunity. I'm, I'm, but yet I, I do like where they go with her. Yeah. So do I. So I think there's a long, it's a longer narrative to yeah. get that, to, to exploit that. She does suffer for it. Yeah. Um, but, but I also was glad, I mean, Again, the show starts with it started with a girl. They introduced another blonde woman. I'm yeah. kind of glad they teased at that, but they didn't go into them having that romantic relationship, even though it, it's something that will they will tease and jo- and hint at throughout their relationship. I think that might have been one of the things that initially put me off of the Kate character, um, yeah. which was that. I mean, obviously, with the Tina character, it's a it's a cute blonde girl in a new city yeah. that he could have potentially formed a connection with, but she doesn't last very long. And then in the next episode, they introduce another blonde. Yeah, like exactly. I, I, I think at the time I was like, are you just, are we just going to keep giving him Buffy proxies or like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. So I'm, it, I'm glad it doesn't go that route. And I, I, I love her, her arc where it eventually goes in yeah. a, in a way, in such a way as I don't love it for her, but <laughs> For no, story exactly. purposes, I love her story. Her story is a really good story. 
Um, and it's be- she really plays it well. Like yeah. she is very, um, it's a very richly drawn character. Mm-hmm. And and I do give her credit in this episode because at this point you have no idea because of the Tina thing, because, you know, you have no idea if you're ever going to see her again. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and I think she is, it's a very rich performance where you do feel by the end of it. Now I, I know this character. I have a sense of this character. She is not two dimensional. She is very richly played. Um, and obviously there's the implication we're going to see her again, which we do because, you right. know, he, they've now established that police officer. again, going back to the genre yeah. tropes, police officer, private eye right. scenario by the books, have, cop and an off yeah, the, you know, an unlicensed, record, yeah, exactly. An unlicensed detective, you know, I, I, I think that works. And I think, so you, I, what you see in these episodes is the, finding the the tropes they're going to use they're Mm. kind of pulling things in and working through them how much they kind of know at that point just where her arc's going to go right i don't know um you know i but i think fury writes in something that's really very richly thought through that there is there is something that she is she's part of this landscape that everyone in this show is damaged there isn't a character who turns up who isn't right I, I do know, like I said, I haven't actually read the the unproduced yeah. script, the original script, but I, I, I do know some of the details from it and yeah. Fury's original plans, like original plans for this episode for Kate yeah. were way darker. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Kate so was going to be a much more blatantly broken character in her, yeah. in Fury's original script. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, I have to say in a show that with a male like with the angel as the center character i i I actually think it's i like it better that she isn't completely broken that you see her as a really because i also think you know you're gonna have a show you've got cordelia's one type of woman on there and you know and she's gonna go in certain ways and all this i think kate is important to someone who is damaged but also is good at her job she is smart she's intelligent she is capable and i like the fact that the end when she thanks him for saving her he says, well, I think he says, I, I realized I didn't thank you for saving my life. He says, well, saving mine was a good start. But then by <laughs> yeah. the end of it, they both saved each other. So I kind of glad that she wasn't completely off the rails uh, the way that she was originally planned. Right. I think actually she just, again, becomes much more complicated. Like, let's we don't have to make her be a completely lost person. Yeah. Damage is one thing, but completely lost is not as... She then she's simply serving his story as opposed to having her own story. Exactly. Um, so let's talk about some of the. So I loved to nitpick. Yeah. As I, as I was rewatching Buffy for the podcast, I loved to nitpick all this stuff, which got me some feedback. <laughs> but yeah. Um, I, so this this will not be me nitpicking, but I, I do want to talk about some of the little details that have slipped into the. Yeah the these first two episodes um yeah like to me it just again because i've seen all of angel and also probably because i'm i've have a long history as you do with vampire fiction mm-hmm. it didn't really shock me but i i've you know gone back and read a couple reviews or comments or whatever from people that were questioning um some of the things that angel does in these first two episodes like how did he get into or how did Russell get into uh, Tina's yes, place in and the I've, daytime? And 
in the daytime. Well, we can well we can talk about the whole daytime thing too. But like, how did he? He's a vampire. How did he get into her place? Yes. And uh, I think there are easily some fan way. You can easily imagine ways around it. And on on yeah. camera, he even says, "Well, I own the building." So I mean, technically, yeah. it's not her. It's not her place. Yeah, she and rents then, it. And then in this, I kind of wish, and, and I, maybe they did, and it was just too subtle for me. But I kind of wish they'd given Angel just a moment of like, so when he bursts into, is it? I think it's Sharon. I think is, Sharon, is, yeah. is the yeah. girl he's trying yeah, to save. When yeah. he bursts into her apartment, uh, if he does kind of pause and have a little like catching his breath moment again, weird, yeah. he's a vampire. Uh, yeah. But I, I almost wish he'd kind of just looked back over his shoulder at the door and realized, oh, I'm too yeah. late. If I could burst in here like this, it means yeah. I'm too late. Um, but I know some people were questioning, like, how how is all this stuff happening? Like, on Buffy, he never burst into someone's apartment. And that becomes a thing later on. Speaking of Kate's storyline, I, I won't spoil that. Yes. But speaking of Kate's no. storyline, that yes. becomes a thing that they address. Becomes but, a thing. Yeah. but I love those yeah. little details in these first two episodes. And I don't think that they're goofs or mistakes. I feel like they're intentional. I think they're in, I mean, intentional um, in the sense. Well, you're right. I think in both of those, I think they could have been signposted better. Mm-hmm. Um but I think you do get that where he you, he does pause to look. If you're thinking about it, he, you know, you know, this is not a, you know, this doesn't bode well for her. But I think, and you do have the clunky moment where he goes to Cordelia's and reminds us that he can't come yes. in. Yeah. Um, so I think that's why that's there, where you know, we have to have this reminder that he can't come in. But I think you're right. But I think there's, it's not a goof. I think they're saying that, in this landscape, um, one thing, you know, Russell does own everything. Nobody owns their own places. They're renting. Um, and you'll, you'll get repeated moments of in angel of that sense of how tenuous life is. And suddenly he just can walk in. Uh, there's a great episode. I remember which episode is, but there's one in this, actually it's later this season, I think, or the second season where he's standing at the door and he can't come in. And then he falls through because the person who owns the, the apartment has died. Is that is that not a Kate thing? No, it's not that. It's not the Kate thing. Okay. I, I know what you're afraid. It's not. No, okay. No. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's not that. No, there's one. And I can't remember who he's with, but I remember it's, he's somewhere um, and he can't go in. Right. So someone else has gone. One of his, whether it's, you know, whoever his partner is who's gone in to look around and then suddenly he falls through right because whoever's on it and i can't remember which episode it is so i think they're very they do knowingly play with that idea i think here they don't they're they're emphasizing the action the speed that Mm -hmm. he's trying to get through the other thing they could have done more in that scene in lonely hearts is having lost tina in the first episode um I think they could have nodded more to that realization of him suddenly going in and having not been able to save her again. Like right. it's another case. And I, and I always thought it was really important that, you know, that we have this again. Um, but I think because at that point we suddenly then go right into his confrontation with the demon, mm-hmm. it becomes about that and not about the woman he hasn't saved. Right. Um, which is sort of at this, or to be, to be fair, she, he she had not been saved the day before because at this point she was already right. infested with the parasite she was long gone right right um, and I, I, I that was the other thing i did wonder if he is he's able to go through because she had already like i don't know whose apartment they're in but you know she had already died 
Um, yeah, that's a good point. I, guess, I He might have been able to come in even if she wasn't lying dead in bed. Yeah, because she had died previously. Yeah, you know. good point. Yeah, so, um, yeah but uh, yes, the... but I, I've been... I'm with you about the nitpicking. There's, there's quite a lot of fun to kind of wondering about some of those things. Uh, well, speaking of nitpicking and this scene in particular, uh, and this isn't exactly a nitpick. This is just one of those, hey, it's a show that was produced 20 years ago or whatever, however long ago it was. Um, yeah. I, I didn't mention when these originally aired, 1999. So, yeah. Um, in that fight sequence, in that fight scene, when Angel is first fighting against the... Yeah. Femala, I can't remember what the demon was called, and I just watched the episode twice. Um, anyways, did you see? Did you see? I feel like it's impossible not to see. But did you see the cameraman? No, I don't remember. Oh I man, didn't. there's a scene. It's at. Uh, it's for people playing along at home. It's at 17 minutes 35 seconds. In I'm going to look at this again. In that fight scene, it's when the demon like has been slamming him up against the bookshelf, and it, like throws him all the way across the room and he goes sailing across the living room and smashes into the wall. There's a sofa on the right-hand side of the shot. And I'm sure that it was intention. It was originally meant to be cropped, but yeah. standing very visibly, very clearly behind the sofa is a cameraman who stands up with the big camera rig and backs up out of frame. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have to go. I have to go look at that again. So um, I mean, we gave. You're right. It probably should have been cropped. Yeah, yeah. We we in. gave Buffy crap a few times for like we saw a reflection of a cameraman or there's yeah. a boom mic coming in, but I mean, this is just yeah. a cameraman fully in frame. Yeah, <laughs> but, exactly. Whatever. I love those kinds of things because you're right. That is, this is a show that's being made very quickly. You mm -hmm. know, they're on schedule. Mistakes get made. I right. always think that. The reality of the production reality always makes me smile. Yeah. Um, so. In terms of nit vampire nitpicking, okay. the other one we didn't pick up on is when Russell gets thrown out of the building in the first mm -hmm. episode, City of, and you do get a quick glimpse of his his reflection in the building. Well, let's so let's address that because another nitpick that I had forgotten. I don't know how I'd forgotten this because apparently it was a big thing for a long time is that that great shot that we both love and the opening title sequence of yeah. Angel's flowing cape as he walks yeah. down the alley. He yeah. walks across a puddle and his reflection is very clearly yeah. seen in that puddle. And yeah, there were exactly. people there were people that were like for all 110 episodes of this series about a vampire who cannot cast a reflection, the show opens on him casting a reflection. Yeah. Um that has never bothered me that much and I I am pretty good usually at uh sort of fan wanking or coming up with my own just subconscious explanations yeah. for these little inconsistencies. Yeah. Um, I know that one that is kind of gained, I don't know if gained popularity, but one, one that I've read, which is more or less kind of where my brain goes is that uh, there's a line later on in this series. And I don't remember how far down the line it is, but uh, where somebody refers to, vampires and vampirism they're like you know it's it's uh metaphysical it's not um yeah what, what do they say it's like metaphysical it's not physical or something like that meaning yeah the rules are the rules are just what they are yeah. and they yeah. work the way they work and there won't yeah. necessarily be an easy explanation for that yeah. and uh a lot of people are like you know the whole vampire reflection thing is tied into the i think it's from the pilea arc i think that's what it is right because oh, in the pilea yes. arc yeah. His full demon yes. form, like, sees its own reflection yeah. and passes out or whatever. Yeah. 
And so yeah, the metaphysics of vampirism is they deliberately like cloak themselves from reflections, but they don't know where every reflection is. Yeah, exactly. I think so. that's a good one. That's a good. Yeah. Anyways. But yeah, I did. I did also see that. I did, uh, just because I had in that in my mind that whole he reflects in the puddle. I was like, oh yeah. wait, you could see him falling all the way down the side yeah, of that building. Yeah, exactly. But exactly. Whatever. Yes. It was still a great yeah. shot. I still loved that it's shot. It's a great shot. It's a really great stunt. I mean, yeah. the thing is, and you know, for all when you've watched these episodes as many times as we have. It, there's a pleasure to picking up on these details. Right. The reality is, my is if you're watching it the first time and at that moment you're worried about the reflection, I think you're not getting out of that scene what you're supposed to be getting out of that scene. Exactly. Which is the joy of him saying, "Can you fly?" and yes. pushing him out the window. Yes. Like that's that's the takeaway. No. <laughs> um, another one is now. Uh, there's a shot. I think it was in City of. I can't remember which one it was now, but where he breaks into the public library and he's sitting in front of yeah. like all those computers. Yeah. yeah. And um, we get like full, they did this on Buffy a few times, but Buffy was even like a few years earlier. And I don't think the shots were quite this sustained, but the camera focuses on those computer screens for long enough that in today's like today in this day and age, you can pause and read that and be like, that is not, I, what did I read? I think it said like the headlines are, you know, body is trashed in dumpster or whatever, but the text below it is actually, uh, is actually an article about recycling or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And you're <laughs> exactly. like, you're like, so nowadays if someone, if you know, the, the prop designer or whatever would actually write yeah. some script for that. But... Yeah. They would have to, the detail would have to all be worked out because yeah. you would know people would be watching it with that level of exactly. oh, the ability to scrutinize yeah. it so. in a way that when 1999, they were less concerned about, you know, yeah. so. it was good. Other things, the other thing, the final thing I want to say about Lonely Heart or final, but one of the things I did like about it is, um, Again, it's the grown-up theme of saying, you know, this is going to be about sex. It's going to be a grown-up. We're going to have this really kind of visceral, horrible monster mm -hmm. <laughs> in this yeah. episode. We're not going to have demons and werewolves and the kinds of stuff that we saw in Buffy. Um, and I quite like that, again. And it's it's very Cronenbergian, this mm -hmm. scene. You know, the effects are not outstanding, but it still, I think, holds up, like, as a good, you know, nod to Shivers and Rabbit and those kind of classic Cronenberg films. And I just think there's, and there's something really dark about these moments of these kind of post-coital moments of these couples laying in bed, looking miserable and depressed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, you're just going, there's something very different going on in this show, um, which in a way is quite, quite stark in this one. They will come back to these themes in later episodes about, um, the perils of relationships and yeah. you know cordelia would make a joke so, you know what did i learn about today well sex is bad oh no i knew that you know <laughs> yeah you know but it, there's something again about just this emptiness of these kinds of encounters which i really think is um unusual yeah. in this it's for pretty, these kinds of shows it's pretty it's pretty depressing in this episode in particular when you stop to think about it. Yeah. Um, if you're not just waiting for the the moment of the demon possession that's about to happen, yeah. if you're like, yeah. these two people, neither one of them looks particularly happy. Right now. No, they're not happy. This has not been good. Yeah. None, you know, and there's something really hollow. And which again, again, and I don't think it's intended this way, but given it's about a burrowing demon, there's something about a hollowing. <laughs> a donkey? We didn't see any donkey demons. <laughs> exactly. Um, 
that's that's one of those jokes that I don't know how many people actually caught that. I know, but, but it's a great one. It's again one of those wonderful Cordelia moments. What do you think about the the notion? It's I don't know the the. What do you think about if I were to say that sort of one of the metaphors of this episode is um, the the pointlessness or the meaninglessness of sexual encounters in this type of environment or whatever, like in the club yeah. scenes of Los Angeles, like this is all about unsatisfying, yeah. you know, romantic, yeah, whatever. Uh, and yeah. that the, that the villain is ultimately defeated because he fails to make an unsatisfying, uh, sexual encounter like he's stopped in fact angel even says yeah. the somewhat on the, a little bit on the nose line of uh it sucks to be the guy if you can't finish you just fall to pieces or something i don't remember what yeah, he says exactly. but um yes. so yeah, yeah they, they they actually i mean technically they set him on fire and shoot him four times but they really yeah. defeat the bad guy by preventing him from completing his meaningless sex act yes exactly um uh, yeah, exactly. And then he, it becomes, he ends up just running around desperately. There's, a, there's that bit where he starts running around desperately trying to make connections where it's like they've stripped away everything mm -hmm. and you just, they're just driving home. I just want to talk to someone. I just want to make I a know. connection. I know. And he's just running around sort of desperate, ble bleeding, covered in blood and people just looking, going horrified at him. Yeah. But I think it's, it's definitely the theme of it to say that there's something there's it's hollow these kinds of encounters mm -hmm. um and of course we're setting but we're setting up these the parallel is that we have these first scenes with cordelia and doyle and kate and angel that we're seeing actual actual connections right you know um yeah. even down to like doyle goes back to cordelia's apartment which has some great comic moments i have to say i yes. do love the jokes at cordelia's apartment um but yeah, there's Ooh, something about Cordelia wears bras. She has girl uh, parts. Girl parts. Yeah. Um, which is, again, I just think is really nicely played, yeah. but there's a sense of saying, actually what we're going to do with these characters is they're we're going to move into there. It's about deeper relationships that are mm. going to come out of these characters. Mm. And we're seeing the hints of that to come. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I didn't have anything else. Um, I mean, we didn't talk about the theme song, which I freaking adore. I love the theme song of Angel. Yes, it um, is. Yeah. That, yes, we haven't talked about the theme song, which is amazing. And I think it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of music and perfect for this show. That sense of something that's part classical, part kind of rock score. Really nice. But the credit sequence. The yes. credit sequence, which I love. The the, the title sequence, the opening title sequence? Yes, the opening title sequence, yeah. which I think is, again, a really beautiful... Um, well, you know, it's you can see the nods to Buffy, but mm -hmm. it's got its own energy. And again, you have those one... You know, I, again, I, it's hard... It's hard in these episodes not to do that comparison with Buffy. But if you look at the title sequences for Buffy, which always ends with the shot of Buffy, you know, you have the power shot of mm -hmm. Buffy. Mm -hmm. that ends up. I love the fact that an angel always ends with the power shot of the group. Yeah. And that you have the three of them. Yeah. Um, in this case, three. It will eventually expand. But I love the power shot. Is actually, it's not about being an individual. It is about the, the team. Yeah. And the fact that it won't be long, we start talking, calling them Team Angel, or, or you know, and I think that works really well. The, I, 
I may edit this out because it, I embarrass myself every time I mention something from Slayage and I cannot remember who gave the presentation. I was going to say it was Janet uh, Halfyard, but I, I, mm-hmm. I don't think it was, I don't think she was the one. Somebody gave a presentation. I, I apologize for forgetting, but they gave a presentation on the, the compare and contrast of the two themes, the Buffy theme right. and the angel theme yeah. and how um, the Buffy theme which is also great. One of the reasons why uh, it was so striking is that you've got a female-led show and theme songs, you know, theme music for female characters tend to be in the, I'm not a music, I I can't, I'm not a music analyst, so I don't know, but they talked about how usually, that basically these are flipped, that the Buffy theme is loud and in, you know, a, a, a more rock register and it's more yeah. driving and, and percussive. Uh, whereas angel, the series with a male lead is much yeah. more in the softer registers and, and yeah. is the more feminine yeah. of the two themes. Yeah. It does sound like that might be Janet Halfyard. Yeah. Yeah. It does sound like it, that would be her, but yeah, absolutely. And I think it works really well as a theme that actually we, again, and it's, it's a very soulful mm-hmm. theme. Yeah. You know, there's in a, in a series that will, you know, where the soul become is repeatedly so, uh, an important part of what makes Angel Angel. Yeah. Um, that is really a, a key element. And there's that sense of history. I mean, one of the things that um, I like about this series is that sense that as much as it looks to his past, this is about someone who, you know, we will use that phrase, you know, people with baggage. But, you know, Angel has 200 years of baggage, mm-hmm. you know, and this is a show that's going to engage with the past in a, in a way with how he negotiates who he was at all, like at various points through his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like that sense of that this is a series that is, is looking as much backwards as forward. And the music really captures that sense. There is there that you feel like underneath that score is lots of classical music, but other, I mean, again, this is Janet Halfyard. Janet Halfyard's written a lot about um, the music of vampires mm-hmm. and certain instruments being used. So she compares angel theme to the music from interview with a vampire and that kind of mm-hmm. legacy of certain instruments bringing with a certain soulfulness, um, and a certain kind of history that is embedded within them that they have with them all the time. Yeah. And I think that theme really captures that. So I, I do, I love it. It's my favorite theme. I, I agree. I, I love yeah. it so much. When I was, uh, <laughs> when I was, commissioning the theme music for this podcast yeah. uh, I, I i told the artist i was like can you can you somehow blend the buffy theme and the angel <laughs> theme and and he was like are you kidding I'm like for real those are two totally different yeah. anyways i i think he did a very he did a commendable job but um yes. I, yeah. I i do remember his sort of disbelief at ah, how would i even like yeah. how do you even blend those two Yeah, no, I know, but uh, it you've done a good job because I think I can feel bits of both of those. Yes, yes. But I think these are really good. It's a good start to a series. Like it's these are really strong. It is. Um, And Lonely Heart. I mean, you'll get to the next few episodes. I think it's definitely one stronger of the kind of just monster of the week episodes. Mm -hmm. Like the next couple, yeah, they're a bit hit and miss, but um, they're. I think this one set is is again setting out their stall of what they're trying to do with this show, which I really like. Yeah. These two episodes taken together are the pilot of the show. Like the first episode, 
is is almost not a full pilot because it just introduces the cast is really is really all it does and it's the second episode that kind of says and here's what the show's going to be at least for a while yeah exactly because you sort of think of it you know is doyle turns up says this is what you need to do and the the city of ends with him saying are you game Right. And he agrees to do it. And it's the second episode. You find out what that means. Right. Like what, you know, really, what is it? What is the mission? Um, and you're right. And what's where's Cordelia going to fit into that? Because you're right. The first episode is just about taking these characters and then bringing them together. Yeah. And then now through Lonely Heart, we see what the, what they're going to do and how they're going to work and, and where Doyle's going to fit in in terms of this, that he's going to be more. Although we get a hint of that in City of that he's going to be more than just the messenger right. um, when he's has, you know, he's going to have to and, and he's going to have to recognize that he's going to be part of the fight, which will become more important to him as he goes when you start getting more of his backstory and realizing why he's doing this and right. why it is important for him to be more active. Yeah. Um, and like and like Cordelia, because even Cordelia has a lot to, to maybe not atone for. That's probably a bit harsh <laughs> on poor Cordelia. <laughs> But she has that need to grow up. She's got some growing to do, yeah. She's got some growing to do. Um, so I would say it's a bit harsh to say she has to atone. She, you know, yeah. basically it's a bit, you know, she was just, she wasn't a bad, she was a very good person on Buffy. We all loved her on Buffy. Yeah. She she just needed to grow a bit. She was a and mean girl with a heart of gold. She I was, guess. exactly. Yeah. You know. Um, so, yeah. So it's, it's My, a great show. My last question for you, because I genuinely yeah. don't know, and you've confused me over the course of this conversation, is it Lonely Heart singular or Lonely Hearts plural? Well, it's probably me just being completely confused. Well, because I, oh, in all of my notes, I had been writing Lonely Heart singular, and then... It is singular. singular. It is? And it is sing- well, I've just double-checked at least in one place. It's I've written it down. Because so I'm finding it, sing- it in other places where it is, it's hearts plural. <laughs> I will have to go and double check. I think I have a habit of slipping into Lonely Hearts. I think there's an episode of the X-Files called like Paper Hearts or something like that, that I, in my head, the two titles blur. And I have a feeling I pluralize it sometimes because I'm thinking of the X-Files. All right. Well, a a mystery to be solved. Uh, We will have to double check. Who who knows how this podcast episode is going to be labeled? (laughs) Will it be heart or will it be hearts? In, uh, Reading Angel, I've written singular. Okay. Unfortunately, the sources, you have to go, sources can be a bit unreliable because yeah. I've even seen on DVDs it written, like sometimes I'll look at DVD and go, that's not the title. They've but, written something on it. Yeah, and it's different. yeah. Or sometimes you will see City of listed as City of Angel in some places, oh. and it's not. It's City of. See, the thing I always see, the the confusing um way of writing city of i i've seen it and in my notes i write it as two words yeah capitalized city capitalized of yeah no ellipses i've also seen several places where it's city of ellipses yeah yeah and i think it's one of those scenarios because um you know in the world of like netflix when we all watch tv and the episode titles are right there (laughs) on the screen we're used to these things being that of course, when it was on the air, yeah. you wouldn't like the, the episode names were not something that were actually so you would ever see when you're watching it. It was eventually would turn up online, but you then you're going, what sources are these right. coming? Right. So, you know, DVDs are often where I would go to to kind of double check or you check sources. But, you know, the sources are are irregular. 
um, because they're <laughs> not is... necessarily they're not necessarily visible on the text. It's Schrodinger's yeah. hearts. Exactly. It it, exactly. I, yeah, it is both singular and plural. <laughs> and plural simultaneously. Yeah. Um, and in some respects, for the theme of the show, lonely hearts, plural, would make more sense. I, yeah. This, this is why I'm confused. Who knows? Yeah. yeah um, so, yes. yeah. Listeners, conswithdead at gmail.com. Let me know. Yeah. <laughs> let, let us know. Uh, is there an S or not? Um, yeah. Stacy, thank you so much i'm i'm so happy that i got you for this uh and you need to come back and we do need to do an episode at some point somewhere on some podcast about near dark it has to happen well i'm more than happy to come back for near dark and i'm happy to come back at any point and okay. i really hope i do because i uh, there are so many great episodes of angel to talk okay. about I, I think I do have you on the list in various places, but the lists, I play fast and loose with that list now. So just let me know um, if there are I particular will. episodes that you are super pumped to discuss. Just let me know and we'll, I will. we'll try and make it happen. Uh, yeah. In the meantime, do you want to, are there things that you want to pimp for the audience or you want uh, to <laughs> let them know how they can stalk you online? Um, I am online at, um, you can find me at Twitter on, uh, at Stacy Abbott, are you, um, for my university Twitter. Um, otherwise, what am I doing these days? I am, <laughs> what am I doing? Surviving. Um, in my other, well, I'm surviving. In my other um, TV obsessions, I am currently doing a lot of work on the end of Supernatural, which has ended yes. just recently. So I've been editing a special issue of the journal, online journal Monstrum. So it's a oh. free online journal we did a special issue on the end part one came out at the end of august part two will be out in the new year which actually has essays talking about the final the episode excellent so um that's where i'm going to be online most most well soonest i will um for the supernatural fans once we're off mic i'll get that link from you and i'll try to put that link in the show notes okay well for sure okay um yeah because uh yeah well, anyways, anyone who knows me also knows that I have lots of strong opinions about how uh, Supernatural is very, so very indebted to Angel. <laughs> so. <laughs> right on. Right on. Um, okay. Well, thank you again. Uh, and uh, stick with me because I'm going to get that link from you. Uh, in the meantime, thank you, everybody at home, for listening. Uh, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com. Uh, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you do that, please rate us or write us a review. That really helps new listeners find the show. If you've got questions for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to join the conversation, you can drop us an email at the aforementioned conswithdead at gmail.com. Uh, follow on Twitter at conswithdead or reach out to us on Facebook at Conversations with Dead People. Next, I believe I've not been able to confirm this. Because uh, it's been a minute since I set up Angel episodes, uh, but I believe friend of the show Stephanie Graves is coming back, and we're going to discuss uh, episodes 103 in the dark, which I cannot wait for. There's some genuine greatness yeah. in that episode. Um, 104, I fall to pieces, and 105, room with a view. So until then, remember: if nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. Mm-hmm.